Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, September 14, 2012. Today we are reading from the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 2. There is a solution on page 25. And today's readers are Kim, Sharon, Paula, and Sarah. The share code for yesterday's meeting, that's Thursday, September 13th, share code 3007. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service. My name is Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us, and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, And with that, I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Nicole to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first, personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, 
A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution, on page 25. The last paragraph, beginning with if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were. And I'm going to ask Kim to begin, please. Thank you. Thanks, Leah. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there was no return from human aid. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Man, this is, this is, I'll introduce myself. Hi, my name is Kim and I'm a recovery compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And what a powerful paragraph. You know, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, so what does that mean? You know, it means that we're not the moderate drinker. We're not the one that can take it and leave it alone. 
we're not even the, the hard drinker, the one that goes on binges occasionally, but then simply goes back to being the normal drinker. You know, now we are seriously alcoholic. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. You know, at this point, the food was dictating my entire day. It was my last thought before I went to bed. It was my first thought when I, when I went up. And every decision I made throughout the day was because of the food. You know, those four horsemen from A Vision for You, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair, was my normal life. You know, there we believe there is no middle of the road solution. You know, I love the example, you know, as a compulsive overeater, if I go to a vending machine and my favorite binge food is a dollar, what do I think is going to happen if I put in 50 cents? Nothing. I'm not going to get half the, the binge food. But if I put in 80 cents, nothing's going to happen. I can put in 99 cents and I'm still not going to get that binge food. But yet when we come into OA, so many of us think, well, if I'll put in a 50% effort, I'll settle for a 50% return. I'll even put in an 80% effort and I get a 50% return. That's fine. But if you are as seriously a compulsive overeater as I am, there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We need to surrender to this process 100%. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Good morning, Janice. Go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Thank you very much. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. If you were as seriously alcoholic as we were, as we were, you know, this is this is the first 100 recovered alcoholics talking to us here. So we're getting good experience both before and after. So they're saying if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, and what does it mean to be as seriously alcoholic as we were? You know, I if I'm the, the kind of compulsive overeater of that variety, then I have that twofold disease and I know it. And I know it. I have that allergy of the body that once I ingest any of my binge foods, it sets off that phenomenon of craving, that feeling that it's never satisfied, it only intensifies, and I need to eat more and more and more. It's that physiological reaction, but it's coupled with the mental obsession. And the mental obsession keeps me picking up again and again and again. And that mental obsession, coupled with that physical allergy, took me to that place where life was impossible, where life was impossible. It permeated every area of my life. So I had to identify. I had to identify, am I one of these or not? And if you are, like I discovered I was, then there was no middle-of-the-road solution because I had been trying every middle-of-the-road solution I could every middle-of-the-road solution I could, but I didn't know they were middle-of-the-road solutions until I was approached by someone in whom the problem had been solved. And that's what the big book is teaching us there. Because if we had passed into that place where there was no turning back, where my human aid or anyone else's human aid, no doctor, no psychiatrist, no psychologist, no one, 
No one could bring me back from the brink of where I was. But here we emphasize the spiritual solution because that was my spiritual answer. That's what was going to bring me back. And, and otherwise, I was just going to be one of those pe- people fumbling and bumbling and stumbling along to the bitter end, to the bitter end and making everyone around me miserable as well. You know, so thank God for this information. My intolerable situation could be turned around if I would accept spiritual help. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Melanie. Melanie, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, My name is Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Same few lines I'd like to talk about. If you are seriously an alcoholic, no middle-of-the-road solution, we were in the position where life was becoming unmanageable. Um, When I find myself in that situation, I was in agony, and the insanity actually was worse. When I was here and there, or I applied a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I was more insane in the middle of the road. Um, just a small example of that, this weekend I had a decision to make. I had come, ac- uh, come upon something last week that um, was really, really passionately important to me, and then I um, did some prayer meditation over it and thought about it differently, and I held on to that middle-of-the-road idea all weekend long, and I was miserable. I knew what I had to do. It was different than what I had originally thought I was passionately driven to do. And I was miserable. I was holding on to it, holding on to the old idea. And I finally ended up calling somebody to, I'd been visiting with other people, calling somebody to bookend it to get off of that middle of the road, to get out of that being one foot in one place and one foot in the other. The serious part about this is that I carried that idea over 50 years and it rendered me powerless. It rendered me not only powerless, it rendered me immobilized to really do anything, to really make a decision and get off that fence and follow this. And as I go through these few lines, these are really quite clearly instructions. We did this. This is the result. This is what we did to do it differently. And you have these two options in the end. And I would like to see, as we continue on, to hear people tell their side of how miserable it is to be in that middle of the road. It took my life and rendered me immobilized on the couch with my hands in bags and bags of cellophane goodies, boxes and boxes of bakery box-filled things. Forever I stayed there, stayed there. Oh, my gosh, just even think about it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. Anyone else? This is Sarah. Can I share? Of course. Your turn. Good morning. This is Sarah, recovering compulsive overeater. Um, Life was becoming impossible. There was no return through human aid. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. So... um, so it's a physical problem. I had a, you know, a physical problem. I could not control my food. Life was becoming impossible. Impossible. It wasn't just food was becoming impossible. It wasn't just that my weight was becoming impossible. My whole life was becoming impossible. I had a physical problem. But what was the solution? The solution was a spiritual solution. It was a physical problem with a spiritual solution. So what I needed to learn 
was that I needed to surrender to this process, even though it didn't seem logical. Spiritual solutions don't resonate with the logic or the mind. They just work. And I needed to humble my own thinking and my own human limited thinking, my own limited human aid that I was relying on anywhere and everyone and anywhere and trust that there was going to, that the spiritual solution, spiritual help was going to solve my physical problem, was going to problem, it was going to solve my obsession of the mind. It was going to solve all of my problems. So the question I kept asking was how can spiritual help solve my physical problem? I just didn't understand it. And I learned that I don't have to understand it because there's only two choices. Either to ignore the truth that I have a problem and continue my insane life doing the same thing, expecting different results, and blot out the consciousness of my intolerable tolerable situation as best I could and just keep doing the same thing and and get the same results. Or I had to surrender my human will and my human understanding, and follow good, orderly directions. I needed to follow God, good, orderly directions, even though I don't understand them. And that trust of being an obedient servant to God that would solve all of my problems, and I could just kind of do my job of what he directs me to do and sit back and watch what seemed to be such an insane life with no possible means of normalcy, of sanity, of returning to to normal and watch God create order out of chaos, out of absolute chaos. And it's astounding how limited the human mind is and how unlimited the human heart is when when really um taken when you when it's understood and not understood when it's surrendered when the heart surrenders to the will of God and and is directed by good orderly directions God can do what I could never do for myself he can, the spiritual solution solves my physical problem all my problems and it's astounding and um and I don't have to understand it I just have to do it. I just have to live it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Eddie in Virginia. Please, Eddie, go ahead. Good morning, all. Uh, This is Eddie in Virginia, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Happy to be here today. Happy to have you with me here today. Um, again, I would like to also comment on the um, one was to go on to the bitter end, blooding out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. Yeah, and how many years I spent there because I was too afraid to do anything else. Actually, that's I don't know if that's only partially true. Really what I wanted, and I know someone shared on this yesterday, was to be able to find a way to eat whatever I wanted to eat whenever I wanted to eat and not gain the weight. I used to dream about somebody, you know, inventing this magic pill that you could take every morning and it would, you know, would prevent all of that from happening. And I could just go on my merry way and do what I had always done and get what I had always got. But, of course, that part never occurred to me. But um, I, rem- I remember as a, as a teenager there was a song out was called um, – 
Is that all there is? And for many years, I, I thought to myself, is this all there is, this cycle of dieting and starving myself and losing the weight, being miserable, having everybody else around me miserable? Of course, that didn't occur to me so much. It's just that I was miserable. It didn't really matter to me too much if you were miserable. Um, or, and then, you know, binging my way right back up to where I was and beyond um, and starting that cycle all over again. And, and for many years, I thought to myself, is this all there is? There, there's got to be more than this. And, um, you know, I really didn't take, make the effort or you know, I was just content, I think, to be where I was, even though I kept asking myself that question because I was too afraid to, to that if I found something that worked, that I would have to readjust my life and give up the food and, uh, you know, do something really radically different. Thank God when I came into the rooms, I was you know, beaten down enough that I was willing to try the something different that you held out to me. And for that, I am ever grateful uh, that God gave me the strength um, to do that to, and, and you know, enlightened me to see that this was, this was really, in the long run, the easier, softer way. Because all of that horror, those four horsemen that I kept waking up to every morning were, were going to go away. If I just picked up this spiritual toolkit at my feet and became willing to open it up and to use it to incorporate it into my life and to and to make and to make it part of who I was, um, to make it who I was, because otherwise it was all there was that this this continual cycle of despair and and fear and bewilderment and I just you know just the thought of going on like that for 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 that many more years was incomprehensible to me. So today I am grateful um that I did pick that spiritual toolkit up that God allowed me to see that this was the this was the only way that I was going to have any peace and serenity in my life that I was going to be able to impact other people's lives in a positive way. Um, and to grow as a person, to become the person that I truly know he created me to be. Not, not that whining, crying, miserable soul uh, that I was for so many years when I was in the food. And tomorrow I will celebrate my seventh year. Uh, it's my seventh anniversary of abstinence, and um, I am so grateful, so very grateful that this is part of my life, and I thank you all for being here. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Judy B. from Massachusetts. Go ahead, Judy. Um, we all have our favorite uh, paragraphs and par- favorite parts in the big book, um, and and I do too, but this, this one idea here that there are two alternatives. If we're seriously alcoholic or if we're serious compulsive overeaters, we have we have two alternatives and and i i keep thinking of that um daily as two choices we always have two choices and that is to blot out the unconsciousness of our intolerable situation when when we feel pain when we feel that we just can't keep going we have a choice we can use the food that we insanely believe will help us or we can go to the uh, God of our understanding, accept the spiritual help. And <clears throat> over the last month, I was uh, facing um, 
an intolerable situation. I was grieving beyond belief. And for a few split seconds, the idea that food might make this more tolerable would come into my mind. And thank goodness that my mind has been um, transformed enough so that I am immediately able to recognize that that is insanity and that it is an untruth, uh, that, <clears throat> that I have two choices, and one is to go to the food and, and try to make it better, which it never does, or to, to use this spiritual help, which we've learned about in this, in this program. And I could go to the God of my understanding and ask for help, I could go to other people in program and talk about it, and um, it, it just, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to read that last sentence. This we, this we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. It, it does take effort to do that, because when, when we're that deep in, in misery, we want relief, and... <clears throat> The kind of relief that I used to take in food did not work, and thank goodness I can remember that at this at this point. And I was willing to make the effort to continue to work this program and to talk to others and keep going. So I, I just, beside this paragraph, I have written two choices, and those words just keep coming to me over and over and over. Uh, during the day, and even when I'm talking with people who are um, who are struggling, um, thank goodness I'm not struggling most of the time. Now, now it's just the obsession has been lifted, and I I am so grateful for that. Um, and I can share with others that we have two choices. You know, we can we can go to the food and blot out what we're feeling. Or we can accept this this spiritual help that the program gives us, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I too would like to comment on this statement here. Uh, we were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. Again, this book is penned by those who are experienced. Uh, they uh, were seriously alcoholic, and now uh, the problem had been solved for them. These are people who are written, writing through experience, and they're telling me that I have but two alternatives, that once I've accepted step one, and, of course, step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable, and my life had become unmanageable. You know, my life had become unmanageable. When I came here, I was a broken young woman. I was an empty shell of a human being. I had been caught in the tangled web of compulsive overeating for nearly two decades. You know, this disease was, was torture, um, once I accepted step one, you know, that admitted powerless over food, that my life had become unmanageable, I realized through the teaching in this text 
that to continue compulsive overeating like I was doing meant disaster. It meant torture. It meant continued suffering. But so did continuing to rely entirely on myself to stop compulsive overeating. (laughs) That wasn't working either, no matter how hard I tried. So if if I knew I couldn't rely on myself, then my choices narrowed down to either relying on some power greater than myself or being doomed to a compulsive overeater's death. That's what it boiled down to. The big book says these aren't easy alternatives to face, but they're the only one, only alternatives I got. There is no door number three. There is no door number three. God came to me through the wound. God came to me because there was enough pain and suffering and degradation that I needed to seek and accept this spiritual help. See, there is no spiritual part of the program. The entire program is spiritual. The entire program is spiritual. The big book teaches me that I have a spiritual malady, that I'm suffering from a spiritual illness, a soul sickness. It's manifested through compulsive overeating, but it is a gangrene of the spirit. And when that soul sickness, when that spiritual malady is overcome, I will be restored to sanity. And that's exactly what happened. But I had to understand there was no door number three for someone like me. No door number three. And with that, I pass. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Sharon. This is Nicole. Sharon and then Nicole, please. Thanks. Well, good morning. This is Sharon. I am a recovered compulsive overeater and very glad to be here. Um, thank you, Leah, and everyone else that's on the phone this morning. I um, would like to look at... Um, this business of accepting spiritual help. Well, when you're in the food, and and um, uh, for me, I was it was a fog. Life was a fog. I I just had such lack of clarity. Uh, my decision making was uh, warped. I um, was steeped in resentment and dishonesty, and um, and I was physically physically ill. I, when I um, started, when I came into the program, I I really couldn't work. I could hardly take care of myself. I had eaten myself right down the tube, almost to the point of death. And um, and I came in when I came into the room. So I I was really, you know, some of these things are. Uh, how could I make this decision whether at, at that point because I was in this food fog or this despair fog, this resentment fog, this uh, fear fog, um, how do I make that decision to go to the bitter end or accept spiritual help? Because I'm in such a fog, I can't figure out how to, how to even begin to accept spiritual help? What does that look like? Um, let me think about this. You know, let me figure it out, which is, you know, my first input, my first 
thing is let me figure this out and, and how do you do that when your when your brain is in a food fog? Now, going on to the bitter end, I don't even have to make a choice for that. I just keep doing what I'm doing and the bitter end will, will meet me. But this accepting of spiritual help, what does that look like? How do I do that? I mean, it just seems so big and so huge. How do I accept spiritual help? What? 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 I mean, I for me, I was a, I I had a faith. It didn't work too well, but I had it. I had a, a belief in some in a power greater than me. Why wasn't I recovered? Why Why was I still a desperate? Uh, at it when I had so much belief and so much desire to do the right thing in life. So my figuring it out, I was not, I, I couldn't get there. I can't, I couldn't, from where I was, I couldn't even understand what it meant. I didn't understand how to get there. So how do we get there? from uh, addiction and despair to accepting the spiritual help. And I, what I think about is um, where it says in, in, in Chapter 3 that we, there is a solution. Well, no, wait a minute. Well, I, I, excuse me, I don't know exactly where it says it, but it says, that we throw ourselves headlong, headlong, and some others might be able to tell me where that is, but we throw ourselves headlong into this program, headlong. We just, it's just like when you throw yourself headlong, gravity takes over and pulls you into it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything except to just, jump into it, except to just fall forward, to just go into it uh, with the, you know, we all believe in gravity. We know that if we um, fall or if there's a ground that's going to catch us and, and that gravity is going to pull us down. So these forces are at work and they're, they're operating. And, we have enough belief to believe in that. When we accept spiritual help, it's very similar to that. We throw ourselves headlong into the spiritual program of recovery. We don't even know what step two is at that point. All we know is that our life has become unmanageable, and there's, uh, we're told that the loop, the hoop that we have to jump through is bigger than we think. So we all we have to do is fall into it. And that process is the step two process. That is doing it. That's doing that is the beginning of our spiritual recovery. It's that little leap that just allowing it to happen. Accepting that there is a way reaching out for it, 
And that is the beginning of our spiritual recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Nicole, please. Hi, Vision for You. This is Nicole, gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. Just a quick comment here. Um, The two words that just keep popping out at me are impossible and intolerable. And when (laughs) when I look back on how I used to diet, run from diet to diet and exercise my brains out and just the reactions of my friends and family. You know, when I was in it, I, I didn't recognize really just how intolerable and impossible it was. I kept trying to claw my way out of it. I really didn't realize I was trying to do something impossible by controlling this with my own human effort and seeking the aid of others. And what I think is so cool is my friends and family that were so used to seeing me miserable, tired, and resentful when I was on a diet because I always felt deprived. Um, now when I'm with them and they might be eating something that I can't, I, I just I have a piece, a, a piece that really passes human understanding that I can sit there carry on a conversation and not dwell inwardly on the fact that I cannot be eating that. Um, And it's so apparent that I I take notice of that. Like I take notice of my reaction towards things now and not the deprivation of things. Um, When friends and family, uh, when I first started the program, and they would be very apologetic if they took out something in front of me and they they knew the old Nicole would be like, oh, I can't have that. Now I just say, no, I'm, I'm not, I don't need to run away from it and I don't need to avoid it. I just, it's nothing to me. It doesn't speak to me any longer. And so I'm just very grateful to God for bringing this program into my life and I want to encourage anyone out there that is just beginning to just stick with it and work those steps and uh, let God help you with that I pass. Thank you. Let's continue in our text with the next paragraph. And Sharon, please. Good morning. This is Sharon, a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, a certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He consulted with the best-known American psychiatrist. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist Dr. Young, who prescribed for him. Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of inner workings of his mind and his his hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. And uh, I'll stop there. This is a very interesting story, and it's, as I read it, I'm I'm seeing myself um, at when I first came to OA and we got recovery, 
you know, I came in a fit of tears and despair, and that recovered right away, and I was going to just do everything I can. I threw myself headlong into it, actually, and but I still had so much ego that I, I was, I could not believe that there were um, people that had been around the rules for 20 years, 15, 18 years. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? I mean, just get over it. Just uh, work it and move on. And I thought, I'm not going to be around here 21 years. I'm just going to. If there's 12 steps, let me just, you know, at the most 12 weeks, you know, I mean, I just could not imagine uh, that long. And so I, I worked it and I stuck at, stuck with it more than, the, you know, I thought I could do it maybe in 12 days, 12 weeks, you know, and then it was several months and I was still floundering along, but, but abstinence and got through the holidays and then after the holidays, Something told me that, um, well, now you're recovered. Now you're recovered. So now, well, you can eat a little bit of that. And uh, before long, I was right back, right back where I was. But interestingly enough, I was worse. And so, but I knew where to go. I knew where to go. And um, so that was what let me know that I had to stick with this and I had to keep working this program because I wasn't going to just, there, there, this is my lifeline. This program of recovery is my lifeline and I, I'm not going to get away from it, and I don't want to ever get away from it. And then and I want to also speak briefly about this baffling. He was drunk in a short time. Well, baffling still, he could give himself no explanation for his fall. Um, the thing that stands out to me is, is before, Bill said that we had two solutions, either to go on to the bitter end or to accept spiritual help. And we see here that there's no indication that this American businessman had accepted spiritual help. What he did accept was that what he, he, he had unusual confidence. Now, this unusual confidence he had in himself. He had a lot of ego. He had puffed himself up. He said, I can do it now. I, I've got everything I need. Just like when I, you know, I, my ego told me that I could do this and I could do that, and I hadn't really surrendered. I hadn't really uh, accepted that spiritual help. And that's why this man ended up failing, is because he really hadn't grasped, he really hadn't let go and accepted uh-huh. spiritual help. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Sharon. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph, please? This is Janice. Janice. Thank you. Me first, Leah? Please go ahead, Janice. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, we're going to be told a story here of a certain American businessman. And I love the, the explanation of what happened to Roland Hazard because I could relate. This, this businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. He was well-equipped, you would think, well-equipped. But he was finding himself floundering, going from one sanitarium to another because he could not stay sober. He could not stay away from the drink. But he went to be treated by a world-famous psychiatrist, Dr. Young, and he came out of that thinking, now I know the workings of my inner mind. I, I have the reasons for everything. I, I now know with unusual confidence who I am, who I am. You know, and his physical and mental condition when he came out were unusually good. And he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge, self-knowledge of the workings of his inner mind. But that did not help him. That did not help him. This paragraph tells us he was drunk again in a short time. And I can relate to that experience. You know, sometimes my intellect got in the way because I would find myself going to psychologists and group therapies and trying to figure out the workings of my inner mind that I would find myself once again face down in the food. And this paragraph is telling us very, very clearly that we were beyond human aid and self-knowledge availed us nothing. You know, self-knowledge availed us nothing. No matter how well understood I thought I could make myself about myself, it did not help me. It did not help me. And thank God, these 100 recovered alcoholics were hearing their experience here and they're telling us a very clear-cut story so that we can relate and identify that self-knowledge will not take us to recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Katie, please, on this paragraph. Thank you. This, this is Paula this is Katie. Matthews. Um, Katie is and Katie. then Paula on the paragraph. Okay, thank thank you. you. This is Katie, a compulsive overeater. And what I get out of this is this visualization of a three-legged stool, and he has very nicely uh, created this, the two legs are firmly established, but then, you know, and you can, you know, if I, if you see something with, with three parts, it can sort of wobble along uh, with three parts, but then eventually it falls over. And I was in this place where I thought, you know, this self-knowledge and staying away from certain foods would be enough. I thought if I, you know, avoided certain things, if I, uh, you know, made sure I was happy in my job and, and all these things, but I was, um, I was not working on the spiritual aspect of, of this program. I, I just completely missed that part, even though I knew it. I knew that it was a spiritual program, but I did not um, think that I had to to surrender. I don't know what I thought. Anyway, this is just clearly telling us that it doesn't work. It doesn't work to have, um, to be physically, you know, okay for a while, you know, cleaned up and sober um, 
clear of alcohol and mentally fit, eventually you will pick up the food again. And it sounds like this guy, it didn't even take that long. It was a short time. He was drunk again. And that was my experience. Once I knew about this program, my ability to stay abstinent or to, it wasn't even staying abstinent. It was complete insanity. It was suicide. It was uh, heading down uh, the road, wishing I had the nerve to run into the embankment um, that would have killed me. And, you know, that is not, food was so far from helping me anymore. I don't know, you know, it wasn't fun. There was nothing joyous about it. I wasn't having a good time eating. Uh, I needed a spiritual answer. And that's what this book is all about, is finding the spiritual solution so that then we are all three parts, spiritual, emotional, and physical. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Paula, please, on this paragraph. This would be Paula. I'd like to come along with right here where he says, uh, Recover Compulsible Reader, by the way, and here I am. Go experience had made him skeptical. Yeah, that was it. See, his experience has always made him skeptical. What did we read in the first line? He had floundered. I mean, this man didn't walk tall into these, these sanitariums. He crawled in. He had floundered, a fish out of water, honey. And then it says clearly, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. Now, haven't we all done that? Well, no, I've done 21 days. You know it only takes 21 days to break a habit. I mean, I'm sure you're clear on that. And what the heck happened the 22nd day? Oh, you didn't do 90 days. You didn't do 90 meetings in 90 days. Now, what about the 91st day? Now, his physical and mental condition were unusually good. Oh, you know that feeling good, looking good. Oh, yeah, look at me, walk my stuff. But then above all, now here it is. Now he felt good, he looked good. He said, above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind. Oh, this man was deep, deep, just as deep. as What did did Bill say? I, who had thought so well of myself, yes, and my abilities and my capacity to surmount obstacles was cornered at last. Well, see, he was in the first line. Cornered at last. But then what does he say? He ends with, with, nevertheless, and there's the corner. He was drunk in a short time, not even a long time anymore. Remember, it's a progressive illness. It takes shorter and shorter time to keep you longer and longer there. Until finally, you can't go back there, as the paragraph before said. More baffling still, oh, this poor man. We've been there. He could give himself no satisfactory explanation. That was it. Those whys that were unanswerable for his fall. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. This statement in the paragraph reads, Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. This is a story about Roland Hazard. Uh, he, was, um, he came from a very prominent family. 
and he had the money to work with the best of the best. Uh, that's the psychiatrist, Dr. Jung. He worked with him uh, for over a year um, with this belief uh, that he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. We're going to find out uh, that uh, relapse uh, <laughs> was inevitable. Why is that? Well, the big book makes it clear. The big book makes it very, very clear. What's going to restore our sanity? What, in the end, was going to restore Roland Hazard's sanity? According to the big book, it's not going to be self-knowledge. It's not going to be sitting on the couch with a psychiatrist, however interesting that might be. It's not going to be inner strength. It's not going to be willpower. It's not going to be determination or any human creation. We are beyond human aid. None of these things is enough. As human beings, we can't restore our sanity on our own. We need the help of a higher power, a power greater than ourselves. Would anybody else like to comment before we move on to the next paragraph? Okay, so I'm going to ask Paula to read the yes, next Yes, Leah. Linda from Connecticut. May I go ahead? Go ahead, Linda. Um, another thing that strikes me is uh, self-knowledge. I got a, a lot of self-knowledge just being in the rooms. I've been around a long time. And uh, I got a lot of knowledge of the steps. That was intellectual. I could recite them, but it's not that kind of step work. It's actually working the steps with a sponsor. And that opens up, as we read earlier, I believe, um, the fourth dimension, and that is, to quote somebody earlier, astounding. That is truly astounding because I'm not nuts anymore. Thanks. Thank you, Linda. Now we'll return to Paula, please, with the next paragraph. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive reader. So he returned to the doctor, whom he admired, and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to retain, regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? I will share briefly here. We've all been there. And you shook your head, how could this be? So then again, he returned to the doctor. Okay, so put pride aside. Whom he admired, he says, he really, uh, he really admired this man, and well, he should have. The man was so uh, just a, a very, very prominent psychiatrist. And he asked him point blank, okay, this is it. I don't want all the details. Just tell me why. Why can't I recover? That's all. Just, just answer me that question. And then he says he wished above all things to regain self-control. Honey, wishes don't matter anymore. Don't matter what you wish. My brother always says, if wishes were hostiles, we would all ride. Oh, Lottie, we would. But they're not. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. But this is the one that would take him down. Yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Take that first drink, and it took him every time. And then he ended with a question again. Why was this? Why was this? Haven't we all had those days and those moments and those mornings? Thank you for allowing me to share. And the answer will be presented. Thank you. 
and I will pass. Thank you so much, and we'll close with that, please. And we're going to thank everyone for their participation in the meeting this morning. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sara, could you please read from page 164? Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.